Welcome to the Nicholas Itali Show, where we chat with entrepreneurs, experts, and entertainers to help you live a more fulfilling life. This week on the podcast, we have Alex Sanfilippo. Alex is the host of the top-rated entrepreneurship podcast, Creating a Brand, and the founder of Podmatch.com, a free service that matches podcast guests and hosts together for interviews. If you like freebies, go to nicholasitali.com news and sign up for my email newsletter. I periodically send out self-development and business goodies. This episode was mixed in mastered by grant singer if you'd like grant to audio engineer your podcast or music click the link in the show notes or reach out to him on instagram at grant e singer that was the intro now here is the episode hello and welcome this is the nicholas itali show i'm your host nicholas itali today we have a very special guest alex sanfilippo alex season's greetings hey man glad to be here with you i'm excited to have you we're gonna dive in we're gonna jump right in it i want to start you're in your teen years, and you launched a tech company that created virtual tours of properties that were on the MLS. And somewhere while you're doing that, in that period, you crafted this vision to get on the 30 under 30 Forbes list and to just ball out, make buku bucks. What would you say the driving forces were for, for those two major goals? Man, it's I love starting here. No one's ever started a podcast episode with me in this, in this position right here. Man, I have to be real. What made me want to be that 30 under 30 was completely selfish ambition. It was pride. It was all those things. I just realized as a teen who built a tech company, it wasn't like massive. I wasn't making millions or billions of dollars or anything like that. But in my city, it w- I thought it was substantial. And I started getting into some real estate investing as soon as I could, as soon as I turned 18. I thought not needing a cosign was a big deal, but apparently everyone in 2006 and 2007 could get a loan. My dog apparently could have mm-hmm. gotten a loan too, but I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. So in my mind, I'm like, dude, I am on my way. Like I have rental properties. I'm 18. I own this company. I'm for sure going to be on that list. And I just, I, I think it was at a dental office and saw like the Forbes 30 under 30. I'm like, I want my picture right there. And it was completely selfish ambition, which ambition, there's nothing wrong with in general, but I just, I didn't have any desire to serve anybody other than myself at that point. And I just thought it'd be cool to have myself featured there. So yeah, that was like one of my first big ambitious dreams, if you will, completely from the the wrong place in my heart. But you know, here we are today. So yeah, you turned it around, right? We all we all we all came back to it. I, I'm over 30 now, but I still want to be on that list somehow. So Nick, if you can figure <laughs> it out, and no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I think I could shoot an email. All right. <laughs> the thing about that big goal is I feel like I'm super guilty of that. And maybe and I know from you, like you have always had the entrepreneur type intuitiveness. And that seems like a common thing to dream really big and want those really big goals. When when did you start thinking like, okay, maybe maybe I should not chase after self-serving goals and I should switch my thinking a little bit? What happened? Yeah, I wish that I had like a really great story as like some personal revelation in this, but really it was the economy just tanking. I mean, you remember 2007, 2008. Mm -hmm. Um, I just watched the movie, The Big Short. So I'm even thinking about that, how like some people could actually call it. I wasn't one of those people that could call it. Like I had this company, I had investment properties and then the market from a real estate perspective just completely tanked. So I went from doing very well for my age, I guess at 20 at that point or whatever. I don't, I don't, it's all blurry at this point, but somewhere along those, (laughs) those lines around that age is when I was doing really well to being the most in debt early 20s, person I'd ever met, right? Like I went from doing well to doing really bad. And it required me to do some self-reflection. And not only that, but the people I was hanging around didn't want to hang out with me anymore. I didn't have money anymore. And uh, yeah, man, you're hanging out with you just for your dough. Maybe. I mean, I wasn't like the guy to go out and like, again, I wasn't like going out partying and stuff like that. But a lot of people, when they realize, oh, Alex isn't like his normal, very confident self, like he's upset and stuff like that. You, you just realize who your true friends are when bad times happen, right? Yeah. And I think I just had some really shallow people in my life at that point. And uh, not, not maybe I was the shallow one. I don't know. But even the, the girl I was dating at that point, like that didn't work out. Like I was the, the young guy with the nice car and stuff and got rid of all that. You know, yeah. anyway, everything kind of went away, if you will. And it, that forced me into some self-reflection of, okay, what, I'm, what I've chosen to base my life on didn't have very much depth. Let's put it that way. And that's really what started the entire change of me becoming just a different person in general. But it really required an economy to really crash for me to have that realization. I mean, I, I like to believe that it would have come around anyway, but that gave me a, a pretty quick kick in the butt, if you will. So so no rental properties, no girlfriend is what I'm getting at. <laughs> if you don't have rental properties, 
the ladies aren't going to stay. Yeah, if you don't have a nice car and a rental property, that's definitely not true. Um, I, I can prove that by uh, by who I married. She's beautiful, and I don't think I had really very much money when I married her. But anyway, um, but yeah, so like I, I moved in. I had I had one property I ended up holding on to that I moved into. So I just was like, you know, I'm going to move into this one. And that was like, that's actually the first time I moved out even. Like I lived at my parents' house during all this. And but the truth is, that's why I had all that money is because nice. mom and dad were like, no, we're not going to charge you rent or charge you for groceries. Yeah. And I'm like, cool. And then, you know, the first time you move out, you're like, oh my gosh, everything is so expensive. There's a lot of expenses. Yeah, there's a I lot gotta, of, I got to pay for a lot. I still don't think I even make close to what I did at that age just because I didn't have any bills. Like I had nothing. Yeah. So, but anyway, yeah. So that, you know, that that's kind of how that whole situation and season of my life went. That's wild. The, I think something that's fascinating to me is your reflection point is you're balling out and then you be, like get into a lot of debt from it. I almost think there could be a mindset of like, you know what, I'm in debt and I hate being in debt and I just want to make more money so I can get out of debt and like, you know, complete, I don't know, not the, it, almost like staying in the same lane in the same mindset. So I'm, I'm slightly surprised that it, it changed it. Were you thinking negatively of yourself? Were you thinking like, woe is me? I'm in tremendous amount of debt? Yes. I'm glad you brought that up, Nick. I definitely brought on a victim mindset. Like there's there's two mindsets you can go with, like the really aggressive and competitive side, which is like, no, I'm going to find a way out of this. I went more like the defeated, like, oh man, this sucks that this happened to me. When in reality, like I wasn't homeless, like I had a property I can move into. It, it didn't mess me up forever. And some people, they were actually homeless from that. Like that, that, those years really messed people up and I wasn't one of those people, but I still took on the mentality of I'm a victim in this season, which is unfortunate, but I guess that's what it took for me to hit that rock bottom, if you will. And that early on having an experience like that, do you hold on to any of, cause I almost, it's hard for me to see that as a failure because it's like such a huge, it, the economy crashing, it makes it like hard for me to say, oh man, Alex, you, you really messed that one up. That, <laughs> what do you take with you when an experience like that happens. You know, for a long time, I couldn't, I just referenced, I watched the movie, The Big Short. Have you seen that movie or do you know what, what I'm talking about there? No, but I imagine it's about the loans. So yeah, it's about the loans and it's about a group of people that were able to bet against the market. So they were betting that the economy was going to, the, uh, the real estate market was going to crash. So like they were betting that that was going to happen and they made, I mean, millions and billions of dollars betting against it. For years, I couldn't bring myself to, I watched that movie last week. So, uh, before that, I couldn't bring myself to watch it because I still kind of carried, oh, man, I should have been one of the people that knew. You know, like after I kind of got yeah. like the, uh, yeah. oh, well, it was me. It was more like, man, why wasn't I smarter? Like I should have known this. To think some 20-year-old kid should have known what just a handful of people in the world could figure out for some reason. <laughs> now is, yeah. is interesting. But when I, I'm glad to say that when I watched that movie, I didn't feel even the slightest bit like, oh, I wish I could go back. I didn't, I didn't have that happen at all. I'm like, man, these guys are so smart. That's really cool. And now I look back at all that time as a blessing because it really forced me to find my identity, like who I am as a person, and to really develop some some thicker skin. Like when everything's good, all businesses and business owners look fantastic, right? Like when things are great, but it's when yeah. they hit a hard time that they really show their colors and who they are. So I realized that like that was my opportunity to grow, to learn, to develop. And now I couldn't be more thankful that happened. Sure, I might have had a, a lot more money earlier in life, but that's not what it's all about for me. And, and and thankfully, I was able to discover that through these situations that happen. Yeah, let, let's let's do a little segue there. Character is very important to you. I've come to find out. Yes. How do you almost like balance that as a business owner that requires money in order to sustain the thing that you're doing? And then also knowing that there is a greater purpose for everything that you're doing. Yeah. How do you stay grounded in something like that? Jeez, Nick, that's such a like a deep question, man. Sorry, <laughs> um, Alex. Gosh, you gave me all worked up. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so uh, for for me personally, and I'm, I'm not here to like preach at anybody or anything like that, but uh, I, I've always been a believer. So like I read the Bible and I just do my best to follow the life that Jesus set. And that's what I believe means to be a good person, someone that can really get out there and love and serve the world. And because I've kind of developed this this idea, if you will. And I write this down on a piece of paper every day. I have a journal and I write these same words. Alex, seek to be a person of value, not a person of profit. Mm. Seek to be a person of value, not a person of profit. So for me, making money is fantastic. But first, I have to add value to somebody's life. And I believe that really wraps straight up into integrity, which is my number one personal core value is I need to be a person of integrity, which means first and foremost, how am I serving and loving the world? And if I make money by doing whatever that is, that's fantastic. But that's really how I just, I, I visit everything from that light, if you will. And I write that down every morning. I make sure that I think about that. And there's times when I fall short and I have to go back to them and be like, you know what? 
I'm seeking profit, I'm seeking fame, I'm seeking myself, instead of seeking to elevate and help other people and show them that, hey, they deserve to be loved exactly who they are, where they're at. And so sometimes I have to check myself with that, but really it comes down to those things, being that person of value, serving people and, and operating out of integrity. Man, that honestly, that's admirable for one, that's awesome. But two, do you, are you able to uh, intertwine your, your core value with integrity and in how you maybe relate and provide value to people within your company as well as people outside of it? Yeah. You, you know, it, it's really crazy because before I was living this way, I, I've always been like an idea guy. Like that that back when I was in my teens, that was an idea that worked. Yeah. But most of my ideas, between you and me, Nick, I hope no one's listening to this. But um, <laughs> I'm just kidding. I hope that everyone on Earth listens. You have a great podcast, by the way. I really enjoyed Thanks. the episode you did with, uh, I'm not going to say her last name, but Anne. She started off with working oh, at yeah. SeaWorld. Um, anyway, that was a really cool episode. I enjoyed that. And I've got two more queued up, but, um, sorry, that's not what you asked me. So sorry. You can cut that out if you need to, um, back on track, (laughs) back on track. Um, for me, it was, I don't have the best ideas is what it comes down to. Like me personally, as an entrepreneur, my ideas are usually pretty bad. Like they don't really work. But when I started deciding to be that person of value and help other people, I stopped trying to come up with ideas that would make money. Instead, I came up with solutions that would serve somebody that I care about. So for me, it just happens to be in the podcasting space. I love podcasters and I'm one myself. You're one. I always enjoy meeting more people in podcasting. So I've done my best to serve them. So instead of trying to say, what can I do? What's an idea? I just ask, what are you struggling with Mm. and how can I help? And when I've been able to figure that out, I'm great at building a strategy behind that. And that's kind of one of my natural abilities, if you will, is to strategize something. So instead of coming up with ideas for businesses, I come up with solutions to people's problems that I care about. And I do my best to solve those. So for by doing that, I'm really seeking to add value to somebody's life. And it's coming from a place of integrity because you know what? It's what I care about, it's who I care about. And that's how I've been able to to do that, if you will, with my my businesses and the things I've done in my entrepreneurial life. Man, I'm very convicted by everything you just said because the past <laughs> year, I feel like maybe even longer, like a lot of my ideas are centered around like, oh, I love this idea, but it probably won't make any money. So I'm not gonna <laughs> I'm not gonna even try it. And not to say that's bad, but like and to your to your point of putting people first, I hardly ever I try to ask people, hey, how can I help and how can I serve you on like a personal level, but never do I ask it in the realm of like business or money. And I think that's super, super valuable. I want to take it back real quick to after you hit your recession, you ended up getting a job in the aerospace field and you worked your way up to the VP of the company. Is that, am I right about that? Oh, so they didn't have a VP level. So it was senior director. So it's really weird. They had like CEO, president, and then senior director. So at a normal company, this was a public company. It was really weird. They didn't have that level. At a normal company, yes, it would have been VP level, but for us, it was senior director. But yeah, yeah, that's, that's what I did. Nice. My question is, since you're so entrepreneurship-esque, I don't even know if that's an adjective or not. I think that's a real word. I'll look in the dictionary. Yeah, please do. Urban dictionary, at least. It's definitely there, (laughs) for sure. What was your relationship with the nine to five? Because I feel like that's always the internal battle between somebody that wants full autonomy to control their own thing and then I'm working the nine to five. So what was your relationship with it? Yeah, you know, when I first got started, it was kind of like a defeated place to go into this. Mm. Like I was, so I was a part-time receiving clerk when I got started. So, and my in, I'll mention this was my dad has, he's been in aerospace for a long time. So like I could walk around with the Andy Sanfilippo name, if you will, right? Like I'm like, that's my dad. Um, Anyway, so it got me an interview and um, end up not, obviously I had no experience. So they're like, well, you can be a part-time receiving clerk. And that's a translation for, I took out the trash and broke down boxes for people. And uh, fancy title for, (laughs) I know, right. (laughs) And now I'm great at making up titles that mean absolutely nothing. I did it for one guy there who's leaving the company. He's like, dude, I'm trying to get this internship. He's like, I'm a receiving (laughs) clerk. I'm like, no, dude. I'm like, you're, you're an inbound logistics manager. And he's like, whoa, you know, like, (laughs) whoa, (laughs) it's the one. Anyway, um, but yeah, so it was like a humbling experience, but I just walked in eager to learn because I was like, you know what, I've, I've, I, can, I can do this. I realized I actually really fell in love with the, the structure of it. I didn't have to make my own hours, which is, I know, I know a lot of people like the grass is always greener type of thing. But when you're in that space where you're not setting, where you have to set your own time, it takes a lot of self-discipline to do that right. And so I've actually, I learned to really enjoy that. I, I did 15 years of that company and really loved it. And at first, I think the thing that really attracted me to it is it had a startup feel. So I felt like I was still able to be an entrepreneur because it was like I wore a bunch of different hats. It wasn't mm-hmm. until like the last three years. And by the way, leaving that company was 
a bittersweet moment. Like I really loved it, but the last three years were different because it had sold and become a publicly traded company. Um, mm. And an idea that I'd have that used to take a week to implement for all of us to try and to do was now six months for a board to approve before anything could happen. And Oof. so I, I didn't feel, I felt like I was being kind of boxed up and that's, that's what happens. I mean, any, even an entrepreneur, I mean, you want your business to grow at some point that's going to happen. And for me, it just made me really long for and miss the entrepreneurial side of things. But as far as a nine to five, I still do my best to work those hours. Like even now as an entrepreneur and it takes some self-discipline, but that it works really well for me. And I thoroughly, I enjoy the act of working, if you will. And I have to be careful that sometimes because it's a fun hobby for me. For many years, you're like, what do you like to do? I'm like, work, super fun. <laughs> you know, like now, thankfully I have some other hobbies, but like, it's not something I ever really struggled with. And I, I do believe the grass is greener. When someone else tells you, you have to be there at nine and you work till five, that's a lot easier than you telling yourself you have to do it. Because sometimes you're like, it's nine and I'm tired or it's four yeah. and I don't feel like working anymore or my friends are going to go do this this afternoon, right? Like you have to yeah. really have that self-discipline. So it can take a lot. Um, but yeah, so I personally, I, I know it's a long answer to your question, but having the nine to five was a really big blessing for me because I think I actually learned to understand like how I work, like what's best for me, how I'm able to really just grow as a professional. And it was, I think, very beneficial to my life. I'm happy that you took such a positive mindset to go through the <laughs> nine to five because I feel like it there's, there's both sides of it. You know, you could, you can learn how you operate or you can complain for the rest of every day that you live that I'm working this nine to five. Yeah. I think that's a little sad. A lot of people do that, man. Uh, you know, that's just, most people. Uh, it's, it's really never been me. I think we should always be thankful for what we have. I mean, there's a lot of people who don't have a job. So having one, even during like those recession years and we've, we've even during, I was at that company at the start of COVID even and the company was still doing really well. So, I mean, I couldn't be more thankful to have been part of that, but anyway. Yeah. But another thing that you mentioned is like the obsession of work. I'm about that. And I want to get into your time management skills, but not yet. I got one more question for you in this in this space here. How did you go? So you're enjoying your job, but you know, feeling a little boxed in, want to try something new. How'd you go from you had an idea, you figured out what you wanted to do and how you can serve others. How'd you go from making it this full time gig now? You know, did you have any nerves about jumping ship into your own thing? And what was your strategy to get things up and running? No, 100% confident, man. I'm just kidding. Definitely not. <laughs> no doubt in my mind. No doubt in my mind. I knew what I was doing. Um, no, I, I definitely can't say that. It was a battle. I mean, especially after 15 years. I mean, and getting to the level I got to, not to like sound prideful about it, but I had worked my way up pretty far in the company. And over the years, the perks just kind of get added. Because I realized mm. these companies like, they give you just enough to make you stay. Let's put it that way. Yep. Where yep. it's like, ah, uh, I, if I go somewhere else, then I, I think when I left, I had six and a half weeks of vacation time a year or something like that. Something crazy, which was yeah. sweet. You know, but it's like if you leave jobs, even if they pay you a little more, it's like you're getting three weeks and you're like, ah, uh, I don't know if I want to do that. You know, like, yeah. Or yeah. Uh, my cell phone. I hadn't paid my own cell phone bill and I didn't even know how to do that anymore. Like, <laughs> so like things like that. Um, all, all the, the, the different, there was a ton of different perks that came along with the job. And again, it was like a really good company. But knowing I was thinking about leaving, I was like, okay, I'm going to pay my own cell phone bill. They pay all of my health insurance, but I'm going to have to pay oh, all that myself. Um, mm -hmm. I'm not going to have vacation time anymore because I'm going to have to work really hard. Like, there's all these yeah. things that you're yeah. like, okay, there's a lot making this decision. Not only that, the majority of my income came from that job. Like, I, I've got some other revenue streams, but nothing even close compared to what I was making at that job. So, knowing, okay, I'm going to, my expenses are going to drive up dramatically and mm -hmm. I'm going to cut off 95, 90 or 95% of my income. Like, that's a scary place to be, man. Like, so yeah, I, I battled with it. And I'll tell you what helped me really get through it was actually, uh, one, the company was doing fairly well, but I could see that it was, it was being negatively affected by me not having more involvement, if that makes mm. sense. So I could see that yeah. Podmatch, which was the company I left for, um, which is my, my company, I could see that, you know what, if I could put in more hours every day, there would be a direct relation to the quality of it, to how many people were signing up. And so I was like, okay, there's got to be a shift here, right? But mm -hmm. still, that, that didn't get me to do it. What actually really helped me a lot was um, a book by Brendan Bruchard, who's uh, like, he's a brilliant high performance guy, like a coach. He has a, a book called High Performance Habits. And so he covers six habits in that book of high performers. And I've, I've always considered myself a high performance performer person as I kind of mm -hmm. like got into the business world and things like that. I can realize that, yeah, I was capable of doing more than the average person. That's just my natural gifting. Yeah. But yeah. I realized the one thing I was really missing because he has, again, six habits in there, but I was missing the one that's called courage. And I had Ooh. never really thought of it. But what I was missing was the courage to say, what I want to do is worth the risk of leaving what I'm currently doing. 
And what I, the way I now put it, man, because like I know that sounds like a lot, right? Like the way I put it now is I sacrificed the good for the sake of the potential great, which was a calculated yeah. risk, knowing that it could be there, but still nonetheless a risk. And that's where courage comes in. But what I was lacking for, I'd say three months or four months before I finally like flipped the switch, if you will, was was being courageous about the the move that I was going to make. Man. So that was the convincing factor to to jump ship is you almost bet on yourself. That's what it seems like. I did. Yeah. Yeah. How did it feel to bet on yourself? And I and I asked that from a place of like the calculated risk portion is you calculated how much income is no longer going to be there and how much you have to earn and all that stuff. And then it's all on you. Do you feel more pressure now or do you feel relieved? Because that's my biggest curiosity because I'm I'm in a similar boat where I'm thinking about jumping ship pretty soon. And that's that's what I go back and forth with. Will I, you know, rise to the occasion because my back is against the wall or I'd be like, man, thank I'm so thankful. I'm finally here, you know, but then just (laughs) go the opposite direction. Where's your mind at now having done it? Yeah. So I'll, I'll reiterate something we both just said, which is the calculated risk part. Like I actually had to do the projection of like one, how long do I think it would take, right? Like to, to replace my salary and how much savings do I have? Can I make it that far? And does what I'm doing on the side, which again was pod match for me, does that show enough? Does that actually show that it could actually bring in enough to replace my salary? Like if I'm being realistic and not being like having this entrepreneurial mind, which many of us, we just think like the limit, we're like, it's going to be a $10 billion company in like four months, you know? Yeah, like, yeah. And that's kind of like the mindset with, and it, I, I'm like that. I have to have people bring me down a level. And I try to, even when I say I'm being really, um, when I'm being conservative with something, I'm still like way over the top. And I have people around me that are like, no, Alex, let's bring it down a notch. But anyway, so I had to really look at that. And when I, when I did that, it, yeah, it was still scary, man. Like making the move, like I, I thought that I was gonna be really stressed out the day I left, but instead I actually felt relieved. And again, I loved that job. So I think it was just the anxiety of it building up of like, okay, big life change. That first morning I woke up when I didn't have to be somewhere, it was actually seven o'clock is we call it nine to five. Mine was seven. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I didn't have somewhere to be at seven. Like I knew what I needed to do at seven, but I didn't have anywhere. I was There wasn't an office or a team I had to get like to report to me. I was used to walking in that office and having five different departments give me, what's going on next. Like, here's what we're working on. Here's what we missed overnight. Here's what's going on. And that first morning that didn't happen, I was like, okay. Like it's, it made me nervous at first. Yeah. And I was like, and it, it took about three days, but I was like, you know what? No, this is, I made this decision. This is what I have to do. And now I really believe it's the best decision I ever could have made. It was taking that risk, taking that jump, um, the big leap as you could call it and, and going for it. I couldn't be happier about it now, but it was culture shock initially. What's going on? This is Nicholas Italian, and here's what I want you to do. I want you to think of two people that you believe would benefit the most from hearing this episode. Send this episode to them with an uplifting note about why you specifically thought of them. This could be your excuse to slide into somebody's DMs. You have my full blessing to shoot your shot with this episode. All right, back to the episode. Yeah, that's awesome. And I, I do think it helps that you've had 15 years of experience to bring into this, you know, leading teams, developing teams, having a leadership role. It probably comes a lot more natural than if you had no no prior skills to show for it. The thing about Podmatch that I'm I'm baffled by is let me get the, let me see if I got this right. You had the idea March 2020, and then you launched the beta in June 2020. Right. Yeah. That's. That's fast. Yeah, it was real quick. Yep. How? How'd you do it? So I, I brought in a, a co-founder. So me and another guy are 50-50 partners on this thing. And uh, I pitched it like that March 10th date is when it was, March 10th, 2020. I just pitched the idea to him. It was an evening and I was just like, hey, I like whiteboard the whole thing out. And I was like, hey, this this is what I'm thinking about doing. What are your thoughts? And he's like, I'm all in. And uh, we, we wow. just went through it. I went for it. And like he and I had worked together prior one time on a different project. And this was years, years back. I, I've known uh, Jesse is his name. I've known him for 10 plus years at this point, maybe even closer to 12 at this point. But uh, so we knew how we worked together. So I just started doing like the mock-ups and writing up everything. Like it's a lot of work, I'll admit. It was my nights and weekends. There was, thankfully it was during COVID, which no one ever says those mm. words, right? Like thankfully COVID yeah. should never be in the same sentence. But for me it was because no one was doing anything anyway. So I was like, this is perfect. Like no one's gonna be like, Alex, where are you? Why aren't you hanging out with everybody? Because I'm really big on being around my friends. And that yeah. just wasn't happening. So it actually provided for a perfect time. So I did the mock-ups and we brought this thing to what we could just call an MVP. So minimal viable product. 
we did what we call start ugly. Like there was no logo when it launched. There was misspelled words all over the place. But all we wanted to know with the 100 people we launched it with is, does it work? Do you like it? Do you hate it? Do we have something yeah. here? So we literally launched it as fast as we possibly could. We had people who were like, man, you guys need a logo. You need to learn to spell better, right? You need to have a page for this, a page <laughs> for that. Grammar check. You're right. Like, like people are like, you need, to, you need to have all these things. But for us, we knew if we can just get this thing to where someone can tell us what's going on with it as fast as possible, then that would lead us to a quicker win. And so that's what we did. We That June 15th, 2020 date, since that time, all we've done is take member feedback, so people are using it, and tell us what we can do to improve it. So we've been doing that for uh, since since that date. We've literally been improving based off what people say, but we wanted to give them a foundation to tell us that. So yeah, when we launched, it seems quick, but if you look at it, you'd be like, wow, there's not really a lot here. It's bare bones. It mm. just does the bare minimum of what it was supposed to do, and we've added to it since then. And that almost seems like the right strategy to go with. Get immediate feedback. And almost to your point of earlier, when you're asking people, you know, what are you struggling with? Instead of you guessing what you think they might want after you have this idea, you're actually getting something real, like some real input that you can then move forward with. Is that what you say would be, what would you say has been the largest contributor to Podmatch's uphill, I don't know, what's the right word? Good things happening, you know, uphill success. I don't uphill, know. Uphill success. I like uphill good things happening better personally. That's there you go. that's more my style, man. That's my pace right there. Um, nice. Yeah. So it's, that's a really good question, Nick. I'm actually really glad that you you asked that because going back to when I had that idea, I got the idea from talking to podcasters at a podcasting conference. So there's about 2000 mm. people at this conference in Orlando, Florida. And I got off stage and no matter what, if you're a good speaker, bad speaker, people line up to talk to you. Like that's just the way it goes, especially when there's 2000 people. I told my wife, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to ask as many people as I can what they're struggling with. And I, I got it to about a hundred people as well as able to talk to. I just asked them, Hey, what are you struggling with in podcasting? Like, thanks for listening to me talk. What's going on? And the commonality yeah. I, heard, I heard from so many different people was I'm struggling to find the right guest for my show. So not mm. guests, like everyone knows someone who wants to be on a podcast, but it doesn't mean they should be. Um, That's so, true. Right. <laughs> but they were like the right guest, the person that would be a good fit. And so that I just got that feedback. I took all these people's information. And when I went home, that's when I got the idea and all that, right? Because I was like looking at their problem saying, okay, what can I do? What idea can I generate from this problem instead of just trying to make an idea from thin air? So when we launched that early beta, we launched with 100 people. And what do you know? They were the 100 people who I talked to about it just a few months earlier. Wow. So they're the people that tested it for us. And from there, what really contributed, and this kind of plays into what you're asking there. Sorry, it's a bit of a long answer. But I'm what, about what, it. Keep it going. What contributed to our on, ongoing success was just the mindset we had about the people using the platform. So most people would call them clients or users. Internally, even, we only call the people using Podmatch, we call them members. And our mm. number one core value of the business is, is we just call it member obsession. Uh, Amazon has customer obsession, but we call it member obsession is what we call it. And the whole idea mm. is, hey, we are going to follow what they say. And that means when we make a roadmap for our development, right, of like, here's the 10 things we're doing next, we ask the members that are using the platform, hey, what do you want us to do? And what should we do next? Here's five things we're hearing from everybody. Can you help us prioritize it? So we've sent out different polls. We've asked individual people. And by doing that and showing the, the members that are using the platform that they're valuable and that we care about what they want and need, it's been able to help us continuously grow. And on top of that, there's one more thing I do along the way. And I just call it this doing things that don't scale, which is so important when you're starting a company or wanting to just get touch on what's going on with your business. I get on once a month, I take a day and I do 25 calls in one day, which is brutal to do 25 calls in one day. About, they average about 15 minutes each though. And I jump on with people who are using Podmatch. I want to talk to people who really like it. I want to tell the people who are new. I want to tell the people who don't like it. Like when we get bad feedback, which happens, of course, any company's going yeah, to have it. Yeah. I ask those people if I can talk to them. And some of them are angry. Like they, they're using the free version, but they are still mad about it. And I just have to develop <laughs> thicker skin, right? And to be like, you know what? I've got to hear what you have to say. And I've, I've been able to, to turn some people into some great fans by doing that. Not that they ever came back, but they're like, hey, listen, the integrity you have in this and the fact that you want it to grow so much that you're willing to listen to me cuss you out for 15 minutes and tell you everything yeah. I don't like about it shows that your heart is in the right place with it. And by doing these things, man, like that's, that's where our growth has come from, from just having this mindset of members first and just following their lead with where they want it to go. That's very, that's a very personal approach. I like it. And it it's is. very a, a relational approach too, which, y you know, there is something to back to like, almost I, like your point of being member obsessed rather than product obsessed, which I feel like is, is tough because 
I love the things I make. Well, that's not always true, but I have a <laughs> easier time to get attached to the things that I make. And I'm like, oh, I want this to be the perfect thing. And I don't want anybody else to have a, a say in it. But in fact, doing it the opposite way and asking those questions is even more important than what I could think is is truly correct. Yeah, you've got, like I said, you got to develop some thick skin along the way, though, because when you ask people their feedback and you find the honest ones, that's who you want to talk to. Because here's the thing, and I'm so thankful for these people. There's a group of people that are fans of Podmatch. They think it's gold. Like, and that's I I so so appreciate that. Like, it means the world. Like those people, I I read their reviews when I'm feeling down after talking to somebody who's not a fan of us. You know, like the opposite. Yeah. And and you know, I'm not. We don't get a lot of negative feedback. It's actually very rare. But anytime somebody has any sort of constructive criticism, I go straight after those people. I'm like, this person's going to tell me the truth. Like, they're not, a, they don't yeah. know me. They're not a fan of me. They don't dislike me. They just, they're not like, oh, Alex, everything you do is perfect, right? I'm like, I'm like, just tell me exactly how you feel. And again, some of those, you have to develop thick skin though, because sometimes, you, like, my product is my baby. Like, Podmatch, like this, I've put my heart and soul in this. When someone's like, I think it sucks and it doesn't work and it's ugly, you know, I'm like, that's like talking about, that's like saying that about my child. I'm like, what the heck is wrong with you? You know, like, are you kidding me? Um, I got an ugly baby. Right. But no, you just have to develop thick skin and say, you know what? Like, that's okay. It just might not be for them. And some days are tougher than others with that. I, I, there's some days where I'll get on too many calls. And there's a limit I've learned for me of too many calls with people that have the more the negative side feedback. And when I do too much of that, it's like, it, it wears on you. Yeah, it really does. Yeah. So I have to make sure that I balance it really well. And because um, it's weird, you can get, a hundred great reviews on something, and there's one bad review. And which one do you think about? You think about think the about one, one, the one bad review, and I, I don't. It's I don't know the science behind this, but that's that's just the way humans are wired for whatever reason. So you have to be really careful. But at the same time, if you want to make it better, you have to listen to that stuff and also be able to evaluate it because not everything has merit. Uh, I've had some people that have given me some feedback that is way off. We would never do it. Like it's just the wrong direction. But they were really passionate about it. And some people might say, "Oh, then we need to do that." makes me think back to Reed Hoffman when he started LinkedIn and he got some feedback that everyone needs to be able to connect with everybody instead of having these like degrees of separation. And yeah. they had tens of thousands of people tell them to do this, but he was smart enough to know that that's not good feedback. And those people got really, really angry about that. But look where they're at now from not listening to that feedback. Like it's what separates that platform from any other social platform is being like different, right? It feels different. It, it functions differently because they didn't listen to that feedback to be like everybody else. And um, it's just a matter of having that wisdom, I guess, or understanding of what you're doing mm -hmm. to make sure that you're following the right feedback. And then again, developing that thick skin along the way. I was going to say deciphering has got to be one of the hardest parts. Yeah, it is. A common theme I'm seeing though, in, in some of your stuff is you're a big fan of community and building community and having oh, uh, yeah. big engagement uh, all around. And where I want to talk about this is in your creating a brand podcast. You, it almost seemed like immediate Immediate good things. Let me use that same verbiage. <laughs> yeah, immediate yeah. success in a way where you're making the top 20 list in the entrepreneurship category, but you've only had it since what June 2019. How yeah. have you? How have you had such a quick? I mean, I'll say quick because I know there's a lot of hard work behind it, but quick success with your podcast in the past a little over a year and a half, two years. Yeah, there was nine months that you didn't see. So the podcast might have launched when you know when we're talking about, but uh, I started the end of 2018, like preparing for it and wow. stuff, which I actually don't recommend to people do. Just get really? it out there. Yeah, I should have gone the I should have gone the MVP model and just launched when I was ready. I would have been six mm. months further. And the truth is, as long as you're consistent in podcasting, that's the name of the game. If you're consistent with, hey, I'm going to do a weekly episode and you do weekly episodes, you'll grow because of that. So um, I cut myself off by six months that I could have had under my belt at this point. But Anyway, uh, I launched when I launched and um, I, I, again, I, I owe it all, like you're saying, to that community. I already had a lot of people that were wanting to hear this content. They wanted to hear mm. my story in that first mm -hmm. episode. They were just curious, uh, like I am, uh, for a different form of, of podcast. And so what I do on my show is it's very informational. Like I, I Nick, I, I thoroughly enjoy this show. This is, this is what I like to, to be on. This is, I enjoy this. Mine is more of like a keynote or a masterclass. So I bring somebody on, I'm like, give us five steps for this. And then you're yeah, going, yeah. you know, like there's no backstory, no nothing. But that's, that's the podcast I just knew was needed at that point. And it's the one that I really enjoy doing. I enjoy doing that type of research. I enjoy learning. I always recommend if you're gonna listen to that podcast, you need a notepad, like find the topics you like and take a notepad with you. Um, but anyway, when I launched it, I just, I reached out to my community and I did something that a lot of people don't do. I, I, I text a lot of people. So literally, I think I texted 200 people and I asked all of them to share it with three people and to ask everyone that they ask to share it with one. And I was just like, here's an episode, here's the link, ask them to review it, 
send it to three people and ask them to send it to one. And it more or less, like for lack of a better term, podcasts don't really go viral, but it more or less did that. So it made the top charts really quick. And for the first few months, especially, it was featured by Apple for eight weeks wow. and three different categories. Yeah, it was crazy. Like it, it went everywhere, but like most podcasts don't do that. But it's because I was just very intentional to leverage my community that I had at that point, which I'm so thankful for. I mean, I, it wouldn't have done anything because I don't have like a big social following. I never have. I just have a lot of people in my life that care about me, that care about the same things that I do. And I was able to leverage that. But yeah, I'm so thankful for my for my community and, and just having those people around me that were willing to, to help me grow it like that. That is great. That's a great little tip you have there. I would have, I don't know why I've never even considered that. Like oh, yeah. I remember when I first started out, I'd shoot like, maybe my three closest friends like, hey, can you give me some feedback on this episode? You know, like very timid, <laughs> very like, ah, uh, but I think that's, that's a really good use of, you know, I think that's another thing that is probably a weak point for myself in regards to networking. I am always down to give, 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 but I, it's very difficult for me to be like, hey, I'd love if you could do this for me, which I will also say, you know, that's, that's a, a con in a way because people want to help. I have had positive experiences where people naturally want to help whatever you're trying to do and encourage and help you get to your goals. So that was a great, that was a great tip. Yeah. You, you know, you, you don't have, cause you don't ask. I think that's a really important thing to, to remember. And it took courage because my first few episodes, like even now I'm like, bro, don't go back and listen to those, <laughs> you know, like, but it took courage to be like, okay, I know this isn't the best podcast out there, but I believe that these people, they, they love me. They care about me. I'm going to send it out anyway. And yeah, if they have feedback and some people did like, that's fine. I just need to be okay with it. So even back then I was kind of practicing this thick skin thing I'm talking about now. Right. Um, but at the same time, like I think that there's the people that we we all know these type of people, and they they probably mean well, maybe hopefully, maybe not though. I don't know. Um, the people I'm about to mention here, um, but they always have something to ask for, but they're never down to help, right? Like they, they and I, I don't know. Like I I've never been that person. I what I ask for is nowhere near as much as I'm willing to give. And actually, I did a really cool episode about this with um, Jordan Harbinger on my show, uh, creatingabrand.com/slash zero eight eight. And he talked about why entrepreneurs need to always be giving. And that's like, he, he basically has this line that he says, um, and I think he got it from somewhere else, but you need to dig a well before you're thirsty. Mm. So give to everyone you can now. And then when the day comes that you need something, these people are going to be willing to help you out because it's like, man, well, Nick always helps. Every, like he's always checking in on me. He's always doing this for me. So now he needs something like I'm all in for it. And just thinking about things that way, you know, like you don't give to receive necessarily, but just being a, a person who gives as much as you can man, it makes you feel good. I sleep better at night because of that. And I, again, I've based my life off of that. So um, anyway, that's a little side note there for you. Yeah. It, there's a lot of joy that comes with generosity. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to have, I have no segue for this, but I'm going to hop right into it. Something that I know that you are a big proponent of is delegation, big delegation and automation guy. Yeah. Do you have a strategy for delegating and automating without any money involved? Is there a way? Is it possible? Yeah, you know, actually, thankfully, the world we live in right now, and me being involved with with digital products, SaaS as, as it's called, software as a service. There's a lot of software out there that that has a free base, right? Now, if you're doing something that's like you're doing construction, I don't know how to automate any of that. You know, like <laughs> I don't know if there's a, automate that jackhammer, yeah, right? If, if you can figure it out, let me know. I mean, I guess I don't know. It's difference between a, a screw gun and a screwdriver, maybe I, I don't know. But um, yeah. anyway, yeah. so but like in the space I'm in, being digital. When I'm thinking about something, like I always look at what I'm doing. So it's a matter of taking inventory consistently. I do this all the time. I always look at the thing that's taking me the most time that brings the least return on investment. Mm. So again, like the, the calls I do, those 15 minute calls, I'm going to keep on doing those because they bring a great return on investment. They do take 15 minutes each, but I'm, gonna, I'm not going to stop that. Now, if I'm always posting something on one of the social media websites and it takes me 20 minutes to do, it doesn't have a big return. I start looking at them like, okay, is there any tools out there I can use to automate this? And here's the thing. Most of these, these tools, like I, I'm, I use Trello, uh, I use Grammarly, I use uh, Canva, like all these different tools. And most of them have a free base. And yeah. for me, at the low volume I do with this stuff, I'm using the free versions on, um, on some of these. And others I, I've upgraded and started and paying for because I'm not against doing that. Like when you have the revenue and you get something at its full potential versus half, fine. But most of the tools I use today are free. And again, not because I'm cheap or anything, but just because that's all I need. Yeah. So automating things is something that just takes a little bit of intentionality instead of just continuously being like, oh my gosh, this is so much work. I just can't stop because I'm I run out of time if I, if I lose focus on it. But instead saying, okay, let me pause for a minute. Is there anybody who's doing this, but doing this in an automated way or doing it simpler? And 
Mm. That's a really important thing for anybody to do is to look at the automation. That's that's the first thing I do when I'm whenever I'm running into a problem or something that's taking my time. Yeah. How do you how do you define what's essential for you to do? How do you qualify a task that's worth your time for yourself? Because and I almost want to make the comparison to like hustle culture. Hustle culture is defining we just work and that's what's important. That's <laughs> what's essential all the time. So how do you with a balanced life in mind, how do you determine what's essential for you? Yeah, Nick, this is another just super insightful question here, man. First off, this is not natural for me. Naturally, I am a high achiever. I love to just get as many things done as pop as, as I possibly can a day. Like I'm, I'm holding my my notebook right now. Like this is my notebook, and I sometimes still do this. I will write something down that I've already done just so I can check it off. Oh yeah. And oh yeah. But that, you know, it pains me a little bit to say, but like, <laughs> you're saying that like, I'm not alone. There's a lot of us out there. I love the hustle. I love being like, oh, I took out the trash. I'm going to write that down yeah. and check it off a list. Like Ooh. little things like that. Like I feel good about that. So this is not something that's naturally like, I, I don't wake up thinking, how can I do less today and only things that matter most? You know, like so I would hard. love for that just yeah. to be me. But like, I have to consistently be fighting the the urge to do more and to just achieve all the things because, and I just call them all the things because there's so many, right? Like mm-hmm. there's email, there's social media, I, there's calls, there's all, all tons of things I can do in software development, all that. But it's really sitting down and and getting real with yourself of saying, hey, I, I need to slow down. Like this is not beneficial. And so I've just set up some disciplines in my life. And I go back to that word I mentioned earlier about like my shift that I work, if you will. Like I always work the same hours every day, but I make sure that my email isn't always open because that's probably the easiest thing to distract me is to say inbox zero to always maintain that. So I check my email three times a day in the morning. Uh, I, I spend the first two hours doing my own thing that's not work related. Nice. The first thing I do work related is actually check my email for 20 minutes. And a lot of people will tell you don't do that, but I've actually found maybe it doesn't work for everybody, but for me, I'm always thinking about it if mm. I don't get into the inbox. So it's better for me to knock out 20 minutes. I set I set a timer. So my phone has a countdown of 20 minutes. I'm going to knock out as many things as I can. And then I, I at that point, I've seen everything at least. So my mind is like, okay, I know it's in my inbox. I'm not like going to run like open something random at the end of the day, right? Yeah. You're like, oh my gosh, there's 300 emails here. Yeah. Um, and then I do it right after, like I'll, I'll work out in the middle of the day. So I kind of have like a, a little bit of a unique shift, if you will. A that break, work. yeah. Yeah. And I'll come back and I'll check my email for, I think I do another, it's 15, I'd have to look. It's 15 minutes at that point, I think. And at the end of the day, I do 30 minutes. But that's it. Those wow. are when, That's when I'm checking my email. It's not open other than that. So that's a simple discipline to say, okay, I'm not going to let this run my life because I, I can't. And the other thing I do is the start of every day during that first two hours. One of the things I'm doing is I'm writing down the three most important things for me to do that day. There's mm. the old 80-20 rule, right? That like yeah. 20% of what we do drives 80% of the results. My goal at the beginning of the day is to figure out what are those most important three things I have to do today that are so important that if I get them done, nothing else really matters that much, right? Mm. So some days it's not even all work-related. Some days it's, hey, I, I'm taking my wife on a date tonight. That will be one of the three things. But what I do then is I make sure that I prioritize time and I leave time blocks available for this to get those three main things knocked out. And when I'm done with those, if I have time left, man, I can live my hustle dream, right? Of like just checking things (laughs) off a list and doing all the little things that don't matter. But I have to start with those three important things because I know if I go to bed and that's all I did, I'm getting closer to my goals by doing those. That is very tough. That is a very tough thing to do. And I just want to say this. I want you to know that most days I will end up putting breakfast on my to-do list and crossing it off after I've made it. Just so just so you I know. I knew I liked you. I uh, knew I liked you, man. Uh, <laughs> I have never done that, but maybe <laughs> I will tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Man, yeah. Uh, essentialism is a, a tough thing for me to get my head around, mainly because, and maybe you're the same way, I, I partially think it, it could be like a sense of a value to my own identity. Like I value myself more when I achieve more, even if it's a small thing, because it keeps keeps that not self-esteem, but you know, that overall confidence that I can achieve things because I'm constantly achieving these little things. Does that play into any of this for you? Yeah, it does. On on days when I when I don't finish my my three most important things and I don't check a lot of things off, yeah, I, I don't feel good when I'm going to bed. Like I feel like I'm missing something. And some of that's just our conditioning. Guys like you and I and a lot of the listeners today. We've conditioned ourselves to think this way, but there's there's some importance in non-achievement. As a matter of fact, I had Michael Hyatt on my podcast recently, and he mm-hmm. talked a lot about the power of non-achievement and how it 
how it's really great for you. When I thought about it, when I came up with the idea for, for Podmatch, I was outside working out and not listening to music or anything, just having like a chill, relaxed workout. I wasn't doing anything that was necessarily important at that moment. And that's when I got that, like, that's when it hit me, like when I understood like what to write down on a whiteboard, right? And so I, I, I've seen that firsthand or the days I just go for a long run or go to the beach, like a lot of my great ideas or enhancements to what I'm already doing come from time like that. Leaving time for non-achievement is very important and, and focusing on essentialism. Uh, Greg McEwen, that, that's, uh, he has a book called Essentialism, blew my mind. Uh, I, I had the opportunity to get some coaching from him at one point. No way. And he said, yeah, uh, he was on my podcast and then he was like, I, I, I don't know why, but I guess he really liked something about me. He's, <laughs> he's like eating dinner and talking to me. He's like, oh no, let's hang out. He goes, I have some questions for you. I was like, all right. So, um, wow. Which was really cool. Yeah. Um, but he, he told me he's, he, he was flat out like, you know what, you, you know what your problem is, Alex? I was like, uh oh. Um, yeah, he's like, you keep on thinking what instead of who. He's like, what do I mean by that is you keep on thinking what needs to happen instead of who else could be doing this. And that was my biggest issue because he's like, you're just stuck in the what needs to happen and what you have to check off every day instead of who else could be checking this off so that I can leave time for what's more essential. And man, this is, uh, I know I'm going like a little rant here. I I'm love sorry it. about that. Oh, um, this is great. But it's, it's one of those things that I have to constantly revisit. I, I don't do a perfect morning routine and have like this ideal day where I finish all three things every day. As a matter of fact, there's, there's days in a row where it won't happen. And I just know that I can see long term that I'm heading in the wrong direction. And, and what it comes down to, I think, is that I, like many people, I overachieve what I can do in, in one, sorry, I, I underachieve, I under say like what I can do in one day, but way over in a year. Right. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's the opposite of that. I keep on messing that up. Um, I get what yeah, you're yeah, saying so I, I wait. Yeah. I overestimate what I can do in, in a, a year, but not in a day. So like when I'm thinking about one day, I, I just think I can just get the world accomplished. Right. But the truth is I can really only do a few things, but in a year I can do more than I think I can, if I just focus on those few things. So it's constantly going back to that, but it's a struggle, man. It's, it's a lot of work to be able to learn to, to do that. And it, it goes back to that self-discipline, self-reflection, super important and just getting real with, with where I'm at, where I'm going. Once a week, what helps me the most, I'd say, is once a week I sit down and re I reflect on that past week and the upcoming week and just reevaluate where am I going? What are going to be the three things every day this week? And I don't write them all down yet. I'm just like, if I can get these three things done by next week, that's going to help. So it's really just always going back to that. And I think that's just a super important thing to do. That's that's pretty insightful for me because I am probably someone that is I I want to just continually work and if it's if it's big impact little impact doesn't matter it's got to get done everything has to get done and the other thing I think that you mentioned is just clarity like having clarity of what you actually want is is huge because I spent like the past two months of this year working on a project and then I finally sat down and was like do I even like this. Does this hmm. even matter to me? And it didn't. So I cut it off. And I'm like, I should have done it two months ago. But if I never just sat down to reflect, you know, it, I would have just kept doing it forever. Something that I think you have a hot take on that I'm curious about is entrepreneurs. We love to dream big. We love to, to craft these beautiful, huge visions of how we're going to change the world. Do you think it's impossible to change the world? Oh, man. I don't know if you read this. Did you happen to see an article I wrote about this by chance? I mean, you, you've seen this. Okay. Um, I got a lot of flack for that article, by the way. A lot nice. of people didn't like it, but I wrote, I wrote an article. and I think I titled it, Please Stop Trying to Change the World. Um, and you can. I mean, Jeff Bezos, Elon Musk, uh, Mark Zuckerberg, Reid Hoffman, like these guys, like they, they changed the way the world looks with what they've done. I just named four people and you can probably name 10 or 15 more. And I don't know how many billions of people there are on the world, but it's going to be tough for you to be among that list. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Occasionally, people hit it just right and they can do it. But I think that we are actually doing ourselves and the world disservice by trying to focus that big. And what I mean by that is I've heard a lot of people talk about how this is going to change the world, need to get out to the world. But when they're trying to get it out to the world, they're not getting out to the one person who needs it because they're so focused on the masses versus the person who they could actually serve because in their minds, subconsciously even, that one person isn't worth it. The world's worth it, but not the one person who really needs it. And that's a realization that I also had to come across. Like Podmatch 
and my podcast are not for everybody. Mm. As a matter of fact, like with my, my own show, I've cut off some places where you can see like analytics. So my podcast looks like it gets less views than it does. And people are like, why on earth would you not want to see them? Like, cause it, it doesn't matter to me anymore. Like, I don't care if there's a million people listening to it or a hundred or 50 or 20. Yeah, yeah. Like what matters is, is it the right people who need it most? And I think that when we do this as entrepreneurs and we learn to focus on the, the just the smallest niche we can, the smallest viable audience, the least amount of people, I believe we can truly make something that's really impactful to help and serve the world. And so niching down whatever you're doing is to me the most important thing. It's how I've watched, I've watched a lot of people succeed by, by doing that. A great example is Seth Godin. Seth mm. Godin has succeeded in everything he's done by thinking, who is the least amount of people I can help with this? Not the most, who is the least amount of people I can help? And somehow he's built, literally, he has the largest solo run blog in the world. Um, he said one out of what one out of 6,000 people on the planet like listen to him. He goes, that's not a lot of people. Like when I was talking to him, I'm like, one out of 6,000 people. That's, I'm like, that's a ton of people. That's like, kind of what? a lot, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, that's a ton of people. But um, anyway, yeah. So th that's kind of my, my thoughts on that, man. Like I, I know it's very unpopular, but it's actually helped me relieve a lot of pressure as an entrepreneur. Because instead of thinking, how does this serve a million people? I'm like, who are, is there one or two people I can find today that this would help? And if there are, how do I find them? And by doing that, that's a lot less pressure. If I say, hey, go find me a million people, Nick, or go find me three, the three people you're like, okay, I can do that, right? Yeah, like yeah. I can go do that today. And so that's really the, the outlook I've taken with Podmatch and just with my life. And it's relieved a lot of stress because I don't feel the pressure of changing the world any longer. And if by some random way I do, fine, it's a, it's a bonus at this point, but it's not my focus anymore. Yeah. There's a quote that I've seen you you say, uh, do for one what you would want to do for all. And yeah. that has helped change my perspective a bit because I think I'm almost jaded to the idea of changing the entire world. Like that pressure of changing the entire world, as, you, as you've mentioned, I will go into my day and instead of handing a compliment out to the cashier at the register, I'm like, all right, I just got to get through this and then I got to go home and then I got to, because I got to finish this thing. And I think that negates the entire relationship process and being a, an example of how you meet people where they're at. There's another question I have for you in regards to change. I know on your birthday, that's your resolution time. That's when you ramp up all those <laughs> yep. resolutions. You've done your research, my friend. Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> and this year was the theme is change. And I want to know, what changes have you made in this last year that have had the greatest impact? Yeah, well, first off, I didn't know that COVID, like my birthday's in February. So like, I didn't know that COVID Oof. was me a thing. So like, Oof. it was kind of everybody's word, like, <laughs> you know, like at one point or another, but like, um, so like I, I said that when I said that was right before COVID actually is when I set that one. And um, it, it was, it was kind of like, I don't know. I was like, oh, well now it's everybody's word. But anyway, um, cause I was they, like, yeah, took no, no word, kidding, though. dude. They took yeah, your word. Um, I agree. But uh, yeah, so change, I think a lot of us, we, we're, we're creatures of habit, most of us. Uh, we, we enjoy our routines, and I'm, I'm very structured, very routine-like. If you look at my calendar, the entire thing's scheduled out from like the time I go to bed, the time I wake up. like All this stuff is scheduled out, and I think there's some power in that. At the same time, there has to be some flexibility, and I realized that I hadn't allowed as much flexibility or the willingness to, for someone to be like, hey, we should, you should think about doing this instead of this. Like I just hadn't left a lot of room for that mm -hmm. in prior years, and for in some seasons, that's fine. I just realized, you know, I'm in a se season where I need to do this. And throughout that year is when I left, like, again, this being like last year, it's when I left my job. It is when like COVID happened. It's like a lot of changes like went on during that year. And I decided instead of trying to fight those, it was to embrace them was the idea and to seek out things. So like, I'd ask the people that are close to me, hey, what do you think I'm good at? Is there anything else I could be doing? Like, wh what do you think about this and this? And just asking people. And then again, being willing to, to make some adjustments. So it's a really tough word because most of us fear change, but not not because it's change. I know everyone's like, everyone's scared of change. We're, we're scared of the, the unknown that comes with it because yeah. the unknown leads to fear, right? Like we don't know what happens when we change. And so for me, it was more like a, I feel like I had like, I think there was a, a movie called Yes Man or something like that where he just said yes to everything, right? I kind of yeah. felt like that was one of my years where I'm just like, I'm just basically gonna, if it makes sense, I'm gonna say yes and I'm gonna change and see what happens. And I can always revert back if I need to, but it was a very beneficial thing for me to do. And I've actually kept that mentality going and I'll probably keep that the rest of my life. I, I hope I will, where I never get so fixed in my ways that I can't change because a lot of times people know things that you don't, they can see things about you that you can't. And when you love and trust those people, they're part of your community, right? When you, when they're there, they can see something about you that you can't see. And maybe there's room for you to improve and grow. So 
change has been really just an important thing for for my life. It's almost like a necessity to to growth. Otherwise, you're yeah you're stunted completely. You know, if I, it, it's kind of like um, the example that comes to my mind is you know the the crusty old man you know who doesn't want to talk to anybody who is just like I'm gonna wear my loafers and never take anybody's <laughs> opinion. I don't want to be that. Absolutely not. Yeah, you know, like comparing to that, actually, it's it's like when the doctor says, hey, old man, uh, not that they would ever say that, I hope, <laughs> hey, old um, but <laughs> hey, old man, you need to change your diet. No, but for real, I'm just telling, telling you to change your diet, like you need to stop drinking Diet Coke. And that old person says, no, I don't care. I've been doing this forever. I'm going to keep on doing it. And then they end up dying earlier than they should or have some sort of health complication, right? Like that's an extreme example, but more or less, it's not much different than that. And it, it does take putting your pride aside. I think that's what it comes down to. Like over the years, we just develop more pride or we just don't care, right? Yeah. For me, I care about the people that I care about and what they say about where I'm heading. And there's been some times where some of my closest friends, I've asked them, deliver the tough news to me. Like if you realize I'm heading in a wrong direction, I'm using an appropriate language that I shouldn't use, I'm not treating my wife right or whatever it might be, right? If you notice any of these things, I, I've given these people full autonomy in my life to tell me. Mm. And I'm going to make a change off of it instead of be like, well, you this, yeah, and yeah. you that, right? Like, or no, that's not true. Like, I just really accept it willingly and from a, a position of humility and uh, disclaimer, I'm not always good at this, but that's at least my heart and my intent in this is to make sure that when I'm changing, I'm doing so in, in a way that, that's, that's bettering me and the people around me. Yeah. You know, that's a great point. One of my close friends actually did something similar to me and I found that I respected him way more because that's a hard thing to do to be willing to be vulnerable enough to take the hard truth like he was asking like do you think I, I was acting inappropriately like the other day and we're like yeah you were and he like really just sat there for like 10 minutes and reflected on it and I'm that's wow. real though that's like a real that is. real change yeah, they think it makes him sound less like manly strong. or yeah. independent strong yeah like that's a, a great way to say it is they feel less strong but the truth is i actually see more strength in that than i yeah. do in the person who won't change i i look at that as because we all know the person that's really prideful and they won't change no matter what i don't look at that as a strong person i was like man you're kind of an idiot you know yeah. but the person who can can humble themselves and say okay i need to make a change that to me i'm like dang that's the real deal and for some reason it's just the opposite of the way our brains work. But when you can be the person that does that, I'm telling you, that's like your friend. I want to be friends with that guy from what you just said, because I'm yeah. like, if he's willing to, to change when people call him out instead of try to fight, I like that. I respect it. Yeah, I think you'd like him. The pride thing is almost like a scare tactic. Like I'm too, I'm too scared and that's a yeah. weakness. So I don't want it, but I'll show you that I'm strong, but I'm not. That sounds like some pretty, pretty in-depth personal stuff to work through. Yeah, you need to bring somebody on who can talk about that. I'm, I'm not, your, <laughs> not your guy for that topic, but I think you're right. <laughs> gotcha. I got two more questions for you. One of them being success is on the rise. You're gaining traction with Podmatch, podcasts, daily PS, which we didn't talk about. Yeah. But all of this stuff is continuing to gain some traction. And I want to know, have you found any, any new difficulties with your, your faith with influence and authority going up or any any tension in that area man what a this is probably my favorite question i've ever been asked and like you got Oof. me stumped here i have to think about it you know as it as these businesses grow and my time is more in demand that's where i find the trouble because for me i start like i mentioned those two hours earlier in the morning a lot of that time is in prayer it's in reading the bible because that's that's what i've based my life on and sometimes i realize i'm doing those things and my mind isn't there my mind is already yeah. two hours in the future as okay I know today's busy. I know I have my 25 calls today or whatever day it is, right? Or it's a big development day. I might be doing some regression testing or pitching something to it to somebody, right? Like when those things are going on, I find that what I consider and I say, like I've said it openly here to be the most important part of my life, that isn't true some days. Some days what matters more to me is the product or service mm -hmm. that I'm trying to develop. And keeping that in check isn't easy. Like it's it's really difficult. But I, I can tell you from my experience that when I push that side of my life aside, I find that my stress goes up. I find that my purpose drops a little bit. I kind of lose sight of it. It keeps me centered because again, it, that my, my life is based on my faith and that's really important to me. It's not always easy, but it's a decision that I need to make every day. I need to fight for it. And as much as I hate to say it, it takes mm -hmm. self-discipline to do that. It does. I wish I could wake up every morning and be like, the first thing I want to do is, is pray and get in the word. Like I, I wish I could say that, but it's not the case every day. But again, I know that that's the most important thing. And I set a lot of reminders for myself. Like I remind myself of that, I remind myself of the, the 
the growth I've had in my life is because of that, not because of anything else. And I've had to just keep it in check. And I, I will always yeah. fight it, like fight for it. Um, it's always gonna be the most important thing. My wife is the same way. The two of us have based our life on our faith. And um, sometimes it's easier than others. But man, like no matter where I am, no matter how successful I get or how lack of successful I am, right? Or like much of a failure I am, right? Like whatever happens along the way, that's going to be the thing that always stays the same is my faith, my relationship with God. So I'm glad you asked about that, but it's a challenge. And I, I don't have like some revelation answer for you of like, here's how you always keep it in check. It's just that every day I have to make that decision. And every morning I do, I make that decision, say today, this is what I'm going to do. This is what I choose to do. And I can see the difference on the days where I do that and I don't. Yeah. I, I feel like I'm recently learning about the, I, you know, we hear people say love is a choice. Love is a choice. And that almost is defining that, you know, like I'm choosing yeah. to pursue God in this way out of out of love, but I have to choose to do it. You know, it's it's a, a repetition. It's a thing that I have to do. And it's not easy. Yeah. The, the final question of the podcast, Alex, you made it. Congrats. Made it to the end. Good stuff. I'm, I'm sweating here, man. I'm so nervous. <laughs> the final question is, where would you say the best place to start is if we want to begin loving others effectively? Oh, man. Love it. What a great question to end on. Um, I, I believe it starts with the person that's in your home. So if you're living with your family, if you have uh, a spouse, you have kids, whatever it is, right? Then it starts there. And from there, it moves to the next door down from you, right? If you're in a condo, like it's the person mm -hmm. above you, below you, you know, no matter how loud they are, right? And sometimes it's as simple as just being being gracious with people. Like I have upstairs neighbors. They're super nice. They are super loud all the time. Um, but now, <laughs> now we joke about it because we actually built a relationship. Like at first I was like, man, I can't stand these people. They're so annoying. Turns yeah. out they're like the nicest people who've ever lived. But now I just do my best to, to love them and to, to remind them I'm here if they ever need anything. All of my neighbors know that I'm around if they need me to be. And some of them are like mm. really closed off. Like you would never even see them come. I don't know what they do, but they, even before COVID, they never came out of their places. But they do know anytime they've interacted with me, oh, wow, Alex is really nice and he, he seems like he really cares. And so I think that's really important. It's, it's great to get around that community that's close to you. And outside of that, for me, like I'm, I'm, I, I'm big with going to church. So I've met a lot of friends there. And it's just really loving those people that are around you. Make sure you're doing life with them and doing it intentionally. Too many of us, I think when we get together with our friends, we just like to have a good time, which there's nothing wrong with it all. But it was two years ago, I had this realization that sometimes it needs to go deeper than that. And I just had a day where I was like, you know, I'm going to text my friends and see what's going on. Like I, I just hung out with this whole group of people. I text them one-on-one -on -one and I say, how's everything going with your life right now? And 50% of these people, I think I texted 30 people, uh, text, texted, I don't know. Anyway, um, I sent, same, same. sent a, yeah, um, I sent 30 people a message and 15 of them responded saying, oh, I'm having a really rough time in life right now. And like had some specific reason why. And I was hanging out with these people, everyone's smiling, having a great time. But if you don't intentionally seek to find out what's happening in somebody's life, and so you can really love them through whatever they're going through, you may never know. You could go through this, this person's life with smiles and never know what they're really going through. So it's a matter of like being intentional with that. And some of my friends, they say like I'm the most intense person they've ever met, like with that stuff. Like I don't do it inappropriately. Like there's not a room full of people. I'm like, hey, Nick, what's really going on right now? What's you going know? on? Like, yeah. And you start crying in the corner. Like, <laughs> Um, I've rarely done something like that, but for the most part, it's just a matter of, Hey, when, when I'm one-on-one -on -one with somebody, like, let me ask a hard question. Like, yeah, let's have a good yeah. time, but real quick. Hey man, how are you really doing? Like, is there anything I can be doing for you? How are you? Like just getting in loving people in that way, I think is such an important thing. And then just thinking the most of everybody, like, yeah, there's some crappy people out there, but find a positive. And that, that makes some people really mad when you can find like a positive thing about a terrible person. But like yeah. doing that is just, I think, a practice of remembering that, hey, we love people for who they are, not for what they do. Yeah, man, those are that's all great, great, valuable, uh, practical things that we can do to enhance our relationships, because I can attest I am I am definitely guilty of let's just have a good time. Let's just hang out. Let's just not yep. think. Let me numb out whatever I'm dealing with too. You know, that's yeah. yeah. <laughs> let me just put, push everything to the back. But of course, uh, I mean, to have a fully fulfilled and enriching life, it takes deep relationships. Nobody wants yeah. a surface level relationship for their entire life. Alex, thank you for coming on the podcast. I am I am inspired by you. I, I feel very encouraged that I got to chat with you, and I think you're doing fantastic stuff. Uh, 
with <laughs> not only your time management, but getting Podmatch off the ground and connecting people with each other. I can't tell you if you never made Podmatch. I have a handful of friends now from Podmatch. Dude, that, and is, that makes my day. That's awesome it, to hear. It wouldn't have happened without it. So I, I I am so thankful that you had the courage to take the leap because it changed my life. So thank you for that. Love that. Yeah, man. Thanks so much for having me. This was a blast. I mean, you're a, a phenomenal podcast host. I can't wait to, to share this episode with all my people. I know a lot of them are going to want to hear it, but you're doing some really good work here, man. Appreciate it. Where can people connect with you? How can they find you? Yeah. So I, everything I do is at creatingabrand.com. So just creatingabrand.com. It's my podcast. It's got all my links and then podmatch.com, of course, if you're interested, but that's really it. That's where I send everybody. But really, I mean, hang with Nick, everyone who's listening. This is a great show, man. I'm, I'm looking at, like I said, I've got some other episodes queued up. Can't wait to hear more from you. Love what you're doing here, man. Awesome. I appreciate it. And we'll see you next time. Bye. You have to say bye. Oh, say oh, bye. I have to say bye. Bye, everybody. Bye, bye everybody. <laughs> that was the episode. You just listened to it. Uploads every Friday at 6 a.m. Next week on the podcast, we're going to be having on Sean Tyler Foley. Sean has been acting in film and television since he was six years old and is an accomplished film and stage performer. He has appeared in productions including Freddy vs. Jason, Door to Door, Carrie, and the musical Ragtime. Tyler is passionate about helping others confidently take the stage and impact an audience with their stories. And he's the author of the number one best-selling book, The Power to Speak Naked. Don't forget to leave a five-star review and to share this episode with your friends. I love you. See you next week. Bye.